Welcome to the Black History Toolkit podcast with Abu Bakr Madden Al Shabazz. Support the channel by subscribing and also making a donation via Patreon or buy a cup of coffee on Kofi. See the links below. You can also find out more by visiting the website abubakamadan.me. And welcome to this presentation of mine, which is uh, called The Evolution of Black History. And what we're going to look at in this session is looking at race, genetics, and civilization. When Black history is taught, there are usually three approaches which is used according to Orlando Patterson. Orlando Patterson is a sociologist. I think it's Harvard University, if my memory serves me right. One of the things that he emphasizes is that when Black history is taught within the Western Hemisphere, there are three aspects it deals with. The catastrophic, contributionism, and survivalist. The two which really is focused on in the Western world is the catastrophic and the survivalist, as the catastrophic deals with destruction, mayhem, and the survivalist is looking at resistance. So we're looking at colonization and enslavement. The contributionism is mainly focused upon black people, especially those from the Afrocentric movement or those from the African continent or those in the diaspora, those black people living outside of Africa. And we like to look at the contributionism. So we look at the high elements of culture because unfortunately, as far as, far as colonialism was concerned, we were considered primitive, savage and barbarian, and we didn't contribute anything to civilization, which we now know is untrue. So the contributionism looks at the high elements of culture, and this is what we'll focus on in the later part of the presentation. This looks at the likes of ancient Sumeria, which was a black civilization, which I will elaborate on further, and we'll also touch upon ancient Egypt. So let's have a look at racial compositions in the ancient world. Now the ancient Egyptians themselves saw themselves as black people. The land of ancient Egypt, always known as Egypt today, was known as Kemet. Okay, Kemet means the black lands. And the people called themselves Kemetu, which means the black ones. Okay, so there was no problem with ancient Egyptians describing themselves as dark you know, black people. But unfortunately, unfortunately, with Eurocentrics who are working within the fields of Egyptology, there's this element of denial, suppression, destruction, and to intentionally confuse the facts that black people did have a high culture and civilization, whereby our history should not start in colonization, colonialism, and the enslavement period. So the ancient Egyptians see themselves as black people. The third of the rest of Africans, okay, which is south of south and um, west of Egypt, which would be Libya and obviously the Nubians. So you can see that they had no problem identify themselves with the rest of black Africans. And obviously D are the Semitic types. And people have immersed themselves in the element of miscegenation or genetic amalgamation. So, in the ancient world, there were three types or types of people, groups of people, or races as we call them today. So Carl von Linnaeus came in the 18th century. Linnaeus was a Swedish naturalist, and he divided people into four different races. So I just gave you the ancient classification of people. So he came during a time of colonization, colonialism, the enslavement period, from his taxonomy or his classification, you will notice there were four distinctive races that Carl von Linnaeus had stipulated in his writings. Afro-Americanus, Afro-Europaeus, Homo 
Asiaticus and Homo Afa. So it should be Homo Americanus, Homo Europeus, Europeanus, okay? Asiaticus and Afa. Now, what I want you to cast your mind on is that what von Linnaeus does here is that he looks at two different types of aspects when he's trying to describe people of so-called different races. Because what was taking place when the Europeans were going out to colonize the rest of the world, they started to notice that people living in those lands, in Asiatic lands, in Africa, in the so-called Americas, they started to notice that those people's complexions, languages, and skin tones were totally different to theirs. And this is how these so-called racial classifications came about. So race is a social construct, you know, and it was based upon pseudo-scientific principles at this very beginning. And what this basically means is that race was seen as a physical and biological specification, whereby Europeans or whites were considered superior or had elements of superiority over the other races, which were the black, brown, yellow, and reds, who were in the more the subordinate category, who were considered savage and barbarians or primitive, as, as, as opposed to Europeans who were considered civilized. So what Leonidas does here, he basically looks at skin color, to some extent, the continents which they come from. The phenotype here deals with the different aspects or dimensions of the face. You're looking at eyes, nose, lips, ears, head, those type of things, okay? This is what the phenotype is. And looking at the different variations amongst people. But what he also does is the element of characterization. He started to characterize them. He started to put behavior aspects. Like if you look at Omohafa, which is the African or the dark-skinned people, the, he saw them as being cunning, lazy, lustful, careless, and governed by caprice, which means that they didn't have the sophistication of rational thought and constructive behavior. This is what he tries to pose at the time. So this comes around about the 1800s. And the next one is the likes of Blumenbach. So Blumenbach built on the taxonomy of Linnaeus, and he came with another one. So he came with a fifth dimension, which is the Malayan groups of people, which was the brown races. The other thing I want you to cast your mind to is that around about 1775, 1776, it was Blumenbach who coined the word Caucasian. So this is where the word Caucasian now comes into the English language, where many Europeans were calling themselves that. It was Blumenbach who socially constructed this term because he believed at the time, and there's a lot of evidence to suggest this, that white people came from the Caucasus Mountains. This is where they were situated. And that's how that entered the English language. So let's have a look at two approaches that scientists use during the time of colonization and colonialism. You've got the monogenetic perspective and the polygenetic. And I'm going to explain these two to you now. And these are terms you should familiarize yourself with. So the, so the monogenetic theory, okay, is based upon different racial groups all belonging to the same human family, irrespective of their variation of, of in genotypes and phenotypes. So what that means, irrespective of their skin color, irrespective of their eyes, their air color, etc., they all come from one. They're all mutations and they all come from one. This is one theory which was passed during the 1700s and the 1800s. And then you've got the polygenetic theory where each racial group has a different origin, so they're not connected genetically to one another. This is what was believed. 
okay? And they're not related to, in any way to the human family through genes or blood. Now we know that the monogenetic theory is now a monogenetic fact as a result of genetics and DNA. So what is important here for what I want you to understand is that the monogenetic theory is now proved as a fact since the study in Berkeley University and the University of Hawaii, which I will talk about later by Rebecca Kahn and her team, had actually established that the oldest people on the planet are black people or African people. They emerged in Africa approximately 90,000 to 200,000 years ago, and they moved out of Africa through the elements of diffusion. Diffusion means to spread into other regions, becoming the autochthonous or the indigenous people or the first settlers in those regions. This is now a scientific fact. So I will talk about that. So the answer for this one, the monogenetic theory is actually a monogenetic fact. Okay, Europeans are mutations from Africans or dark-skinned people. And this is why people are fascinated with DNA. Let's have a look at the concept of morphology, because this is another terminology which you're gonna come about in your lifetime. So what is morphology? So morphology is based upon four basic principles, shape, size, texture, color, what I call stick, okay, stick, S-S-T-C, shape, size, texture, and color. So morphology is a study of forms and things that have a particular shape or structure in its dimension. So we look at, you can look at the morphology, the phenotype. So phenotype is nose, lips, hair, skin. That is phenotype. They're the physical characteristics we can observe or which we possess. However, morphology tries to break those down into particular dimensions. So, in this, so as an example, shape of the nose. You can also have shape of the lips or shape of the hair, whatever the case may be. Size, another morpholo morph morphological characteristic, size of the lips, texture of the hair, color of the skin. So all these here represent morphology. Nose, lips, hair, skin, et cetera, et cetera. That is phenotype. This is what is important here. So let's have a look at W.E.B. Du Bois, who basically said at the turn of the 20th century that the problem of the 20th century is the color line. And W.E. Du Bois was a scholar. He was a historian, a sociologist, an economist. He was one of the major founders of the NAACP, which was the first movement in order to try to bring about racial equality within North America. It was first called the Niagara Movement, before it was called the NAACP. So what is important here is that W.E.B. Du Bois was the first black graduate to receive a PhD from Harvard University. This is what is really important here. And he went out of his way to look at race through the ages. So what is here, we look at morphology and phenotype. So the morphology, which I talked about, shape, color, texture. So what W.E.B. Du Bois talks about in his book, which is called Souls of the Black Folk. It's a book which is studied at university. So he basically says that the fascinations that European had during the 18th century, 19th century, and 20th century was color, bone, and hair. And this is how they divided the races into superior, inferior, because there was a belief that the lighter you were, the more superior you was. 
okay? Your bone structures, if you were white, was considered superior. And if you had straighter hair, you were considered superior. This is what came out of this classification during the 1700s, 1800s, so on and so forth. So when we look at race, they focus on skin, bone and hair. So morphology looks at what? Morphology here is dealing with the shape, with the shape texture, okay? And obviously when we're looking at the skin. So the thing which I want to emphasize here is that the phenotype and the morphology, they come together, shape of this, texture of that. And this is what he talks about. So the fascination with Europeans is color, bone and hair in order to distinguish the different racial groups. So what he says here, although the wonderful development of human history teaches that the grosser physical differences of color, hair and bone go but the short way towards explaining the different roles which groups of men have played in human progress. So color, hair and bone does not describe human behavior. This is what he's trying to emphasize, trying to say. And unfortunately, scientists try to put that together as a way of trying to divide the relationships, to classify them, to characterize them, and to put them into categories. He goes on to say even further, color does not agree with texture of hair, for many of the dark races have straight hair, because there was a belief at one time that all black people had curly hair. This is not true. People cannot be fixed, and this is why there's only one race, the human race, one human family. Even though there may be different races, they're all connected to one another. So it's the monogenetic fact. He also goes on to say about the dark races, you know, having straight hair, nor does, nor does color agree with breadth of head. So the shape of the skull. For the yellow Tatars, the Mongoloid groups of people, the yellow people, sometimes they call them Asiatics or Orientals, have broader head than the German because it was believed that the Nordics or the Aryans or the Northern Europeans had bigger heads. Therefore, they must have had bigger brains. That's been blown out of the water now. This was blown out in the water because this book was written around about 1903, 1904. Around about that time, this book was written. So this is well over 100 years ago. So you can see the type of mindset that existed in Europe during this particular period. So he goes on to say that we have at least two or perhaps three great families, not races, families, because, it, because there was a notion at the time that all people come from one. Even though scientific colonialism and racism and all these other type of scientific biasness are taking over people's minds, the thing to emphasize here, which is of great importance, that he focused on the great human family, not races, to separate people, not the polygenetic theory. So he goes on to say that there were three possible races, and these are the things we're going to look at. And what then is race? It is a vast family of human beings, not races, family of human beings, generally of common blood and language, always a common history, tradition, and impulses who are both voluntarily and involuntarily striving together for the accomplishment of certain more or less vivid, uh, vividly conceived ideals of life. Which basically means that even though we may belong to so-called different races or racial groups or ethnic groups, whatever the case may be, we all have one thing in common, we're striving. We have to use what is known as human activities. And what that means, we have to move, we have to bring about change with our actions, whether it's through our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, whatever the case may be. So we all have the same thing where food, clothing and shelter is concerned.